Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just come before you this morning, um, just humbled um, by your sacrifice. Um, what a joy it is to come and just sing praises to you, um, to have this place where we can gather as the body um, and serve one another um, and serve you. Um, I just thank you for your word um, and just the truth and just the um, just how, how great it is. Um, Lord, I pray that we would just live under your word. I pray for Mark um, right now as, as he's teaching us, um, that you would just bless the study he's done this week, that it would be the Holy Spirit through Mark and not his words. And I pray that we as a people um, would receive it um, with a humble heart and an open mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What does it mean to be a Christian? I know it depends on who you talk to. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean showing up to church once a week? Does it mean just eternal life forever? What does it mean to be a Christian? When we're saved by God's grace and we're put when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us glorious benefits, does He not? If you're a believer, you, you get this. Sin loses its power over us. It no longer has control over us. The joys and the desires of this world are made pale in comparison to the joys and the desires of God. We receive an eternal inheritance of everlasting life in the presence of God. We receive God Himself who abides in us teaching us, guiding us, transforming us, sanctifying us more and more each day, one degree at a time, to think, act, and love as He thinks and acts and loves. Those are all wonderful blessings. In fact, Paul speaks of it at the end of this passage. But there is also a cost to having faith in Christ. And we don't talk about that very often. We live it, but we don't necessarily speak of it. As Paul has laid out over the past few chapters of 1 Corinthians, Christians have freedoms and rights because of their faith, but we need to hold loosely to those freedoms. And even Paul himself, an apostle of God, one who saw Jesus face to face, who was dramatically transformed by the power of God to, to love the church instead of destroying the church, 
Paul has given up his freedoms in Christ. He says uh, he, he has a right to take a believing wife, and yet he doesn't. He has a right to eat meat offered to idols, and yet he would rather give up meat completely lest his freedom cause his brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their faith. He has the right to receive material goods from the church to support himself and his ministry, and yet he presented the gospel free of charge so as not to get in the way of the gospel message taking root in the, in the hearts of those who hear him speak. All things are lawful for him, but not all things are helpful for the gospel. Paul's focus is on loving God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and his love for his fellow believer comes out of his great love for God. And then as we see today, or we'll see today, Paul's love for God causes him to make some choices that are not natural to the human heart. Now, so far, We've been speaking of, of Paul speaking to the church and them relating to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And now there's a, a slight shift in, in what he's saying. He's, though Paul is free, he makes himself a servant so as to win those whom he is serving. That's the unnatural part. We don't necessarily like becoming servants, maybe once or twice. But always? Really? It's hard. Talk to a stay-at-home parent. <laughs> Talk to a child who's caring for, or a spouse who's caring for a loved one at home by themselves. You guys all know Ed Queer, or some of you know Ed Queering from years ago. He cared for his wife for Years and years and years. It's not natural for the human heart to serve in that way. And yet, that is what Paul has decided to do with his life. Paul is a free man. Yes, he's a Roman citizen, which grants him certain freedoms and rights, but he is free before God too. He is not bound by any man nor is he held captive by his own sin. Paul is free, but he is also a slave. He encountered the risen Savior on that road to Damascus and was given a calling that he could not refuse. He was called to preach the gospel message to an unbelieving world. Sin is rampant in the hearts of men, controlling and deceiving everyone, promising joy, peace, and contentment only to bring sorrow, fear, and discontentment. Our sinful rebellion against God, against His will and against His desires, separates us from the love of God, making us slaves to our own sinful passions. But God, in His great love, sent His Son to die the death that we deserved for our rebellion. Jesus came and lived the perfect life. He died the only death that would satisfy God's wrath for our sins and was raised to life in order to defeat the power of sin and death for those who believe him. And so Paul is a slave to no one. No one can dictate to Paul what he should or should not do. But one. And that's God. He is a slave to God. 
And yet these five verses give us an account of Paul's life since he was saved. He is free, and yet he has made himself. Did you catch that phrase? He, he makes himself a slave to all. That's work. You make yourself a slave to all. Paul is free, and yet he willingly gave up his freedoms in order to serve others. The idea of a Christian becoming a servant or a slave to others did not start with Paul. This wasn't something that came out of his head and said, this would kind of be good to do. Paul was compelled to follow the example set by the life and teachings of Christ. Only two chapters later in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Those are, we'll get there. Those are big words. Those are Those are heavy, heavy words. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And the context of those words is the Christian doing all things for the glory of God alone. And so how did Christ set the example of servanthood? Well, in Matthew 20, the mother of the disciples, James and John, asked Jesus to place her sons in the seats of authority in Jesus' kingdom, one on his right and one on his left. Maybe you know that story. And the other 10 disciples were outraged at such a request. They weren't upset necessarily. They were asking about, put me in authority. They were upset that they wanted to be in authority over the other 10. The 10 were going to be subservient to them. Who were these two to ask such a thing, placing themselves above the other 10 disciples? And Christ's response is classic Jesus. He's flipping the narrative and he uses himself as an example. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, this is what he says. Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's taking the social order and flipping it upside down. If you want to be great, you need to be less. You want to be a master? You need to become a servant. The hierarchy of the world has the strong on top, the weaker on the bottom, and now Christ says that those who desire to be great must become slaves and servants. He's flipping it. And look no further than Christ for for an example. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was there at creation, who created all things that were created, who ruled from heaven over all of that creation, who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise, this Jesus willingly left his throne and came to earth to serve creation, the creation he created. His service included, for example, washing feet. Caring and healing for the lame, sick, deaf, and blind. 
touching lepers, speaking with prostitutes and tax collectors. But he lays one thing out. Christ lays one thing out. He says, I give my life as a ransom. He paid the price of death that we deserve for our sinful rebellion against God. He gave his own life to buy those who believe in him back to God. We were slaves to sin and death, but he has set us free in God. He is worthy of our praise. And if the disciples of Christ want to have the seats of honor and authority in his kingdom, then they must become servants and slaves to others like he did. Romans 15 reads this way, for if I tell you that for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the uncircumcised, that is, or to the circumcised, which is the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And mercy is to pardon or to lessen a punishment for someone who deserves a greater punishment. For instance, prison time instead of the death penalty, or in the case of Christ, eternal life instead of eternal death. Christ became a servant to others in order to show the truthfulness of God's promises in the Old Testament and to reveal God's great mercy, his pardon towards those who deserve eternal punishment and death for their rebellion. Christ became a slave to reveal the mercy of God so that he may be given the glory, honor, and praise that he is due. Now go back to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant, a slave to all. Paul is following the example of Christ, striving and fighting to make himself a servant to everyone, not just those that he likes, and not only those who are open to the gospel message of salvation. He, he doesn't make exceptions. He serves everyone. He makes himself a servant of all. And who is this all? He thankfully lays everything out and he covers his bases completely. He makes himself a slave to those who are Jewish by birth. He makes himself a slave to those who are under the law, that is, those who converted from their pagan beliefs to Judaism. Paul also makes himself a slave to those outside the law, that is, to Gentiles. And finally, he makes himself a slave to the weak. Now, who are these weak people? The most recent time that he described someone as weak was a fellow believer, but this doesn't make much sense because he says, I became weak that I might win the weak. Well, if it's a weak brother, he's already a brother, he's already won, he's already saved. So who is he talking about? He wants to win each of these groups of people to the gospel message that they would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And so who is he talking about? Who is weak? Well, turn with me to chapter 1, all the way at the beginning of the, cha of the book. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The weak person here is the one who is socially weak, the one who is looked down upon, not wise, not powerful, not of noble birth, according to the worldly standards. They are those who are socially at the lowest tier of society. They are the slaves and the servants of the world. And so Paul says he has made himself a servant to slaves. He makes himself a servant to all by becoming a Jew or a Gentile or a slave. Why? Well, five times again, he says, to win them to the gospel. But Paul is keenly aware that though he serves all, that not all will believe in the gospel. He tells us in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save everyone. Now, he says, some Paul believes that only God saves. He, he holds that throughout all of Scripture. But Paul desires that his lifestyle of servanthood for the sake of his neighbor will point others to Christ, not to him. Now, I once heard a, a preacher use the phrase, what you win them with is what you win them to. Now, for instance, and this is just an example, a church may desire for new people to come to start beginning attending church and and so they change their worship service to include, and not limited to, I'm just using this as an example, light show, fog machine, professional worship band, and maybe even a giveaway for first-time attenders. We've, we've heard those probably from different churches. And that church may believe that they are winning those people to come to church so that they can hear the gospel message and be saved. But take away the lights, take away the professional band, and that church may find out very quickly that many, if not all of those who attended because of those things, will leave the church. They were not one to the gospel. They were one to entertainment or to professionalism or to fancy lights. They were, they were one to something other than the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul has to make sure that he's careful that he doesn't win people to his servant lifestyle. Like his desire to love the weaker brother in Christ by suspending his own freedom so that his brother doesn't stumble in his faith, Paul desires to remove any advantage to himself so no hindrance would exist for people to hear and believe the gospel in which he proclaims. In other words, he serves so that people can see Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I strive to live as Christ lived. So don't look at me. Look at him. Look at our Savior. He wants to win them to Christ. In chapter 10, verse 33, he says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, 
not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, why? Not so that they like him, but that they may be saved. If there is an obstacle to be removed, as long as it doesn't go against his master's God's desires and commands, Paul is going to do it. And so when he's around Jews, he follows the law of Moses. When he's with Gentiles, he eats and drinks as a Gentile. When with the socially weak, he humbles himself, he serves those who themselves are slaves. Paul strives to live his life in a way that the gospel is heard, seen, and experienced clearly by anyone who would listen. But Paul also understands that only some will believe. God would cause the truth of the gospel message to take roots, root in the hearts of only some people. That's, that's hard to hear. And it can be very discouraging. There are many stories of missionaries who go into a, a, a country or an area that has never heard the gospel, and for years and years and years they preach the gospel, they live out the gospel, and they see no fruit. Does it mean that their ministry was a failure? No. No. Paul knew that only some would believe, and yet that didn't stop him from making himself a servant to everyone. As he says, woe to, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel with my words and my life. Do we desire for our family and friends and neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? then what are we doing? What are we willing to do in order to follow Paul's example and the example of Christ and become a servant to all? Will we humble ourselves, removing any advantage to us and live the life of a servant? Now again, that does not mean celebrating and joining in sin. (laughs) It means living a life of service so that people can see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And that is possible whatever job you have, whatever school you go to, whatever amount of money you make, wherever you find yourself, no matter how old or how young you are, we can serve and live a life of servanthood for the glory of God. So what should we expect as the result of serving others for the sake of the gospel? Now, this is, this is where it hit home for me as I was studying because it's very easy to, to think, well, I mean, I, I drop everything for people. They, they need something. Okay, I'm going to drop everything, and that's my life, and I constantly do it, and it starts to wear on you when you don't get a thank you. You don't get, you know, where's... where's Where's the fruit of this? I'm just kind of getting beat into the ground and over and over and over again. Where's the fruit, God? Where is the fruit, God? And the, the thing is, is he, he doesn't ask us to produce fruit. Do we understand that? I, I know I've used this before. I had a, a, a friend tell me this when I was going through a really difficult time um, when I was a youth pastor 20 years ago. 
and, and he tells the story of a, of, a, of a man who's in a cabin in, in the wilderness by himself, and he, he hears God say, go up to the top of the mountain behind the cabin. There's a giant boulder there, and I want you to push it. And so he goes up there day after day, pushing and pushing and pushing, and it's this huge boulder. It's this huge boulder. Nothing happens. And finally, after months of doing this, he gets frustrated and throws his hands up and he's like, God, nothing is happening. And he's like, I never asked you to do anything other than push. I asked you to be faithful. Now look at you, you're strong. And you can do anything that I ask you to do. But I never asked you to actually push the boulder down. I just said, push the boulder. Be faithful. You let me take care of the rest. And so what should we expect as a result of serving others for the sake of the gospel? Well, let's look at one example. In the time of Christ, foot washing was a job that was relegated to the slave. People would walk into the house, their feet would be dirty from walking all day. The slave would come and wash their feet and they would sit and recline a table and have a meal. Now, that night... That Jesus and his disciples come to have a meal, and Jesus grabs the basin of water. He takes the position of the slave, and he begins to wash the feet of all of his disciples, including Judas. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but that didn't stop Christ from washing his feet. Christ made himself a servant, and yet the one, the one whom he served handed him over to be killed, betrayed him. So what should we expect? <laughs> we should expect that many will reject the gospel, but some will believe, and they will share with us, uh, with us in its blessings. We should not share the gospel message by serving others for our own sake or for the sake of others or even the sake of the church. The goal is not to get people in the seats of the church. It's nice, but that's not the goal. The goal is to get people into heaven, and only God can do that. The goal is to have souls saved from eternal death and hell to eternal life in heaven, and only God can do that. And he chooses to use broken, sinful people like us to serve and love as he served and loved us, to point them to him. And we do it all for the sake of Christ, so that through the gospel, some might believe and share with us in its blessings, in the eternal life, in the grace and mercy, peace love, joy, and the presence of God in us, and so much more. So in short, as a church and as individuals who love God, and, and I, I feel that I'm, I'm Creek, we, we do. We're not perfect at loving God. We're not perfect at loving other people. We want to get better at it, but man, we, we do love God. We love His Word. We love each other. We love the people around us. And so as his church, 
both corporately as a church and as individuals, we are to become a servant to everyone in order to save some with the gospel. Now that's certainly a challenge, isn't it? Well, you don't know my neighbor, Mark. Yeah, well, I probably have one of them. How do we love those around us and serve them for the sake of the gospel while at the same time fighting tooth and nail against the flesh of our own hearts and the selfishness of our own hearts? Ah, man, that's hard. But it's, it's not impossible. It's not impossible when we lean into the power of God who is in us. He's asking us to be faithful and to let Him take care of the fruit. And so perhaps we should just end with one simple question that, that this week, and hopefully we'll be able to ask this every day, every week, for the rest of our lives as God's people, how can we purposely serve one person in our lives who does not know or love Christ so that they hear the gospel message and the truth of the gospel message and believe. And maybe you're saying like, well, I, I don't know many unbelievers. Okay, if there's anybody who's in that situation, it would be me because I spend about 95% of my time with you guys. But I have neighbors that are unbelievers in the summer, I ride bike with people who are unbelievers. I encounter unbelievers in the grocery store. I have family that are unbelievers. So even I, I have no excuse. So, okay, well, how, how, can, I, how can I do this? Well, let me pray. Very, we are meeting in the prayer room right after the service here, right afterwards so that we can pray specifically for one or two people in our lives. We're not asking for, for God to say, God, put me in, we want to be in everybody's life. Put one or two people in my life. Help me to start there, God, to be a servant to them for the gospel's sake, so that they would believe in Christ and be saved. This is a good starting point. Join us afterwards. Pray together. And then go home and pray on your own. Keep your eyes open. Seek those people that God has placed in our lives. How can I serve that person, God? What can I do to point them to you? Humble me. Humble my heart. And fight the flesh that is there that desires the, the, all the accolades that desires to have the fruit come from me. Just help me to be faithful, God, so that you could save some through me. But even if I never see the fruit, know that you are still at work. How can we purposely serve one another? How can we make ourselves slaves so that the gospel is seen and heard? That's hard, humbling, difficult, but again, not impossible. We've got the God of creation living in us. 
how easily we forget that. Father, I pray for us as your people that you have already saved us, you have already transformed us. We are yours, nothing will remove us from your love, and yet these, these words of your servant Paul are reminding us, God, that our job here on earth is not done. You are calling us to serve others as you served us, to love them as you loved us. Father, I pray you would put one or two people in our minds that we would not rest on the results, but that we would find ultimate joy in you and being faithful to you, being true to you, humbling ourselves before you, bringing all glory to you, pointing all people to you that we come in contact with, putting ourselves to the sidelines, lessening the view of us, and giving you all the praise and glory. Help us to serve for the gospel's sake. Make us a church of servants. Make us a church where the gospel is seen and heard, not just on Sunday morning, but every, everywhere we go and every day that we are alive. And Father, should you grant this to us, help us to see the fruit of some come to faith in you. Whether they come to Elm Creek or not, we desire for them to be in the kingdom, Father. Use us, humble us, and give us the strength and power to make ourselves servants and slaves for your sake and for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Just stand as we sing our final song.